The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. Recently, my coworker Jessica and her 10-year-old daughter were driving down Tudor Road on the way home from a doctor's appointment. As they passed some homeless people near the Anchorage Rescue Mission, her daughter asked, why don't homeless people who get money save it for housing? Jessica responded that that was an excellent question and that adults often ask that question too. She also explained a little bit about the hydra of homelessness to her daughter, telling her that when you don't have housing or stable housing, you're often more concerned with how you're going to survive the night or eat, and you don't save money for the long term. She added that even if they were able to save money for the long term, there's no guarantee that they could find affordable housing or have the additional money necessary to put down a deposit or have enough monthly to pay rent. She also explained that for people who are struggling, their focus turns into how to make their short-term moments, their hour-to-hour and day-to-day moments, easier and less painful. And that's why some people choose to spend the money they collect on things like substance abuse. She ended the conversation by encouraging her daughter to keep asking questions. On today's episode, we're going to ask some questions similar to my coworker's daughter. Joining me is Meg Zalatel and she's going to help us understand the affordable housing situation in Anchorage. Here's our conversation. That I have yet to cross And I have dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over My name is Meg Zalatel. I am the executive director of the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness. Um, and I also spend some time um, as an assembly member for Midtown. So it might be helpful for listeners to know what's your history working in the area of homelessness, specifically in Anchorage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when I was elected in April of 2019, um, I got bestowed the honor of uh, being the chair, or I believe the co-chair at the time of the uh, Assemblies Committee on Homelessness. And as I was doing that work, um, it was very interesting to me. My background is as a disability and mental health lawyer. So there was a lot of intersection with what I already knew. Um, So I dove in pretty darn deep um, and it just 
kind of kept going from there. At some point, we managed to shift that committee to the uh, Assembly Committee on Housing and Homelessness. Um, and then when the coalition's uh, executive director was leaving, they asked because I was really familiar with the policy work and I'd been in the municipality's facilitated process trying to figure out how to get out of mass care if I would step into this role. So my history in Anchorage, you know, specifically on homelessness is rather short, but I've been up here since um, May of 2005 doing disability related um, litigation and lawsuits. And um, so I was familiar with that piece of it. So I know the coalition's been working on some stuff around affordable housing, and those are sort of the, the area I want to ask you specifically about. So um, could you help listeners understand sort of how does affordable housing connect with the homelessness that we see in Anchorage? Sure. So I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that the Anchorage housing market is very tight. Um, there's low vacancy rate, meaning there's very few units available. Um, and we also have really high rents. Um, obviously, uh, scarcity, you know, pushes the market. Um, the rents go up. So if you are someone who's experiencing homelessness, even if you have income, you're probably not terribly competitive or attractive to a landlord because maybe you don't have a great credit history. Maybe you don't have a great rental history. So we've really been focused on how can we bridge between market rate rental units and getting folks housed because housing is the solution to homelessness, but you've got to have housing. So a lot of our work has been focused on um, hotel conversions where we convert hotels into housing, particularly targeted to people who are what we call extremely low income, which is 30% area median income. So it's pretty low. Um, minimum wage would be, I mean, we, we have people who are working who qualify for that housing. So that's really where we've been focusing. Um, in a lot of ways, that form of housing, using a hotel as housing, has been around in Anchorage for a really long time. But by converting the properties into actual leased housing, there's a lot more stability with it. Actually, people pay less than they would on a weekly or a monthly rate at a hotel. Um, so we're really trying to find not only affordable housing, but very affordable housing. We're really trying to stay within the rents, the um, that Alaska Housing Finance Corporation sets for, um, you know, vouchers, uh, which is a rental subsidy, um, so that we are ensuring that people, you know, who take these units won't be extremely rent burdened. Would you say that the the lack of affordable housing in Anchorage is a, is a I mean, where would you put it on the continuum of, of things that are factors around homelessness? Like, where would you put that as, like, where would you rank that as one of the factors in, in, in promoting and in, in um, contributing towards the homelessness in the city? Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> I was reading an article in the New York Times. It was like a four, pa four paragraph article, and it summed it up so eloquently because Anchorage is not the only um, place facing these challenges. And it was really down to two factors. One, without affordable housing, we will always have homelessness. And the drive on single family housing will always make us not have enough housing. So it's it's both. And you have to come out of both directions because we need housing across the entire price point spectrum, except for maybe at the, the top tier. Um, I know individuals who are here, nurses, 
educators who can't find units who are doubled up in this moment because we just don't have enough housing. Um, and so if we don't have enough housing, the first type of housing we're not going to have is something we consider affordable. You talk to builders in town, housing projects don't pencil. Multifamily housing projects don't pencil. It's why you see Cook Inlet Housing as you know, our multifamily developer, because they put together these elaborate and very complicated fund stacks to make their projects go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I think we have to start thinking outside the box. So first, you know, hotel conversions, but also what incentives can we have that drive more multifamily housing? Um, not even if it's just affordable, but if it's just housing units, we are so far behind. Um, and I think part of that starts with what does it mean to have housing in Anchorage? We're city and you know everyone having their own lot in a single family home is not reality. We're, we're gonna run out of space um, and it's not going to be accessible to um, a, a good portion of the population. Yeah, you mentioned you know, we're not the only city facing this. I was at a conference this past spring with a bunch of urban leaders and the, the seminar breakout room for affordable housing was overflowing. There were so many folks that were experiencing it in their cities elsewhere in the U.S. and Canada primarily. So it really is an issue that's out there. Um, I know that the coalition has been posting a number of interesting posts on their Facebook page, and I'm sure on other social media, but I saw them on Facebook, and one of them was around this idea of housing wage. Um, and I remember seeing it was somewhere around $24 or something like that, and it was more than double the minimum wage at 10 whatever we're at, 10.30 something. Could you speak a little bit to just the cost of what, what people have to make to afford, if they even can find affordable housing, What's sort of the minimum they need to be making to be able to find housing in Anchorage? Sure. So those graphics are based off of a two-bedroom apartment. Um, so it's about 20, between 22 and 24 um, dollars an hour. Actually, it's a zip code-based search. And so depending on where you even put it in here in the municipality, it shifts um, by a couple of dollars an hour. That's a significant challenge for a lot of individuals, meaning that households are often rent burdened, which means they're paying more than 50% of their income in rent. And I mean, rent, and if you're paying that much in rent and we have extremely high food costs, and then with gas prices going up, I mean, I don't know how families, you know, they don't make it pencil. And that's why things like rental assistance have been so important. Um, and it's really why we need to think about housing as kind of the building block, but the building block can't be so big as to, you know, um, consume the entire amount of someone's resources. I mean, housing is the solution to homelessness. Housing is a stabilizing factor for, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me and nearly every facet in life. But if you are struggling to stay housed because you're spending all your money on housing, at some point, something's going to give. Either you're not going to get, you know, adequate uh, resources for food. You're not going to be able to get to work because you can't afford the gas in your car, you know. And so that that rent amount, um, I think, is really good at illustrating how hard it is to make rent in Anchorage if you're gainfully employed. Uh, those would be really good jobs, and it still costs that much money. 
I think another graphic that you guys put out that that really struck me is the cost comparison for um, people experiencing homelessness, the interventions that, and maybe listeners would be interested to hear that as well, that that housing someone is by far the most affordable at somewhere like, it's like, I'm looking at the graphic, 35 to $65 a day, shelters like $100 a day, Department of Corrections is $100 a day. And then if they need to be institutionalized in like API or something like that, it's $1,000 a day. So um, I found that really interesting that the most affordable option is housing. I, I don't know if you could speak to that because it, it seems a little bit counterintuitive, almost like how could housing be like more affordable than shelter? But I, I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about just the reality of it's actually the best, like most economic way to approach the, the subject. Yeah, it is counterintuitive um, because we think of our, our social safety net services as being something that isn't usually terribly expensive. It's it's an intervention because not intervening is more expensive. Someone being unsheltered <clears throat> is very costly. It's extremely costly. So when you think about that shelter per day rate, I mean, you're paying for staff, you're paying for the building overhead, you're paying for that person's meals, you're paying for a lot of built-in costs. I mean, Essentially, a shelter is a small, it's an institutional level of care, like an assisted living home or a nursing home. I mean, it's different levels of care, but there are lots of baked in costs to that to make it work. And the cost of that is the same if there are 50 people there or there are 150 people there. Like there are only certain levers, you know, because you're basically opening it up and keeping it at a capacity. But if you start to think about even your own home and even the mortgage or the rent you might pay, if you divide that by 30, that number, which might feel very high, it comes down well under. I mean, can you imagine if you were paying a mortgage or uh, rent at $100 a day? I mean, even if you add in your food costs, that's not likely going to be the case. And so it's just, it's math. Um, rents are cheaper than per day rates. It's just like, it's cheaper to stay, you know, live in your apartment, pay monthly rent than it is to pay for a hotel by the night. So that brings me to sort of something that's been kind of hotly debated, or at least from my perspective, which is housing first, this idea of getting folks into housing and and then wrapping the, some services around that that help to stabilize um, so that they can transition into more stable situation. Um, how does that fit? I mean, I've seen you guys also putting out um, information around that the, the data around housing first is, is so strong um, that it works as an intervention. How does that relate to this idea of cost as well um, in that approach? Sure. So yeah, I, you'll, I sound like a broken record, I feel like, but the solution to homelessness is housing. Um, and a great example is the guest house, which was a hotel downtown, um, turned into what we call transitional housing, so not permanent housing, on June 1, but everyone leased up in September. In that time, these are folks who came from the Sullivan Arena at the time, from unsheltered homelessness, and from June to present, there have been virtually no problems there. Folks stabilize. When you have a door and a lock and a space, it is tremendously stabilizing. And that is really where, you know, we talk about housing first working. It is, they're paying, you know, starting this month, they're paying rent. The rents down there are between, I believe, $657 and $840, depending on the type of unit. I mean, that you know, and for a single, we call it a single room occupancy, but basically a converted hotel room. That feels very high to me, but compared to all of the other interventions, it is really 
inexpensive. Um, and what we are able to do to keep those things being um, less expensive is the federal government subsidizes subsidizes housing. Um, there's uh, the, actually the coalition um, administers some HUD funding that is a stream towards housing. We have vouchers, which the uh, Anchorage uh, Housing Finance Corporation administer, and then there are two streams of funding that the health department administer around housing. The money for shelter that the federal government contributes to our city on an annual basis is one hundred eighty thousand dollars, meaning. That's split between Brother Francis, Claire House, all of your low barrier shelters, meaning Brother Francis, I, or is it Catholic Social Services? I can't remember which, but I think it's Catholic Social Services gets $60,000 a year from the federal government to run their shelters, meaning philanthropy and other fund sources fund that intervention, which we already know is more expensive than housing. So this is why this housing first approach works. And then can you imagine like someone saying, you know, we would really like you to connect back with your behavioral health services and do this job training. It's very hard to do that from being inside a tent on the side of a creek or for being under a bridge versus I have a warm, safe place to be. And then it's easier for me to connect you with transportation to get you to those services and really get you to engage. So housing first works. And it's, I think, counterintuitive to a lot of folks because they're like, well, you're giving someone housing. We're not giving anyone anything. We, what we're giving them, if anything, is actually an opportunity, the opportunity to live in a safe set of conditions and then, you know, give them some time and then see what's next. It, it's interesting to me too, when you even said like the the rents are, you know, somewhere in the 600s to in somewhere in the 800s. I mean, that's nowhere near a hundred dollars a day that you would be, you know, would be the cost of sheltering the same person. So economically, it seems to be like, not only is it the best intervention approach, um, according to what you're saying, but also like economically, it seems to be the best approach as well with limited funds. Like this might be something that folks don't think about is like the overall cost of that. Yes, we put together, um, we convened the emergency shelter task force for the assembly to look at options for this winter. And we put forward a graph that showed the cost of congregate shelter in an MOA building and congregate shelter in a leased building, and then non-congregate shelter, which is using hotel, but not as housing, but a shelter, even that was less expensive. It takes less staff. And then the housing, because we have rental assistance and other subsidies, you know, was even less expensive. I mean, the, the math doesn't lie. The dollars, you know, that it takes to do these things um, are very expensive when you're talking about shelter. Um, it doesn't mean we don't need shelter. You absolutely need a place for someone who's, you know, come into homelessness, um, possibly quite unexpectedly, to have a safe place to stay for the night. Absolutely. But the long-term intervention is housing because it is less expensive.
Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you're informed, inspired, encouraged, or just plain enjoy this podcast, will you do me a favor? You will be rewarded. Go to whatever podcast app you use and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Those ratings, reviews, and subscriptions help more people find and listen to us. I also encourage you to like and follow the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative, the organization behind the Anchorage City Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, we're at Anchorage UTC, and on Instagram, we're at Anchorage UTC. So what's the reward? Aside from the warm feeling of knowing you're helping to spread the word about this great podcast, if you rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast, and we hope you do all three, or you share a post about the Anchored City podcast on Facebook or Instagram with the hashtag Anchored City, send proof like a screenshot to anchorageutc at gmail.com along with your snail mail address, and we'll send a little swag out to you. So once again, Rate, review, and subscribe for the Anchored City Podcast on whatever app you use to listen to this podcast, or share a post about the podcast on Facebook or Instagram with the hashtag Anchored City, take a screenshot, send it to our email address, which is anchorageutc at gmail.com, along with your snail mail address, and we'll get you some free swag for helping us get the word out about this podcast. Now, back to the episode. And with all those lessons learned With the crazy long life that I lived already And the scars I earned I still can't seem to find the answers And though the questions I never knew But loving you just once was worth it even if I, I can't have you. So if you had your way, which I know this is a whole system working on, on these issues and lots of different folks, but how would you propose that Anchorage move forward on affordable housing? Like what things should the city be doing? Or we as a community, not just the city, I don't mean city government, I mean all of us together. What things should we be looking at to increase the affordability of housing and the availability of housing at Anchorage? So I think there's a couple of things. One, um, you know, for my day job at the coalition, it's my hope and wish that we get on as many housing units as possible because we know that we have resources right now that we can leverage, you know, the federal relief dollars, rental assistance. <clears throat> and even if those things only exist for a year, that gives us a year runway with folks in a better position to figure out a more um, sustainable path forward. Um, you know, as to kind of the broader lens, we really need to have a conversation in our community about what is housing? What does housing look like in Anchorage? I think there's a lot of resistance to um, integrating multifamily homes into single family neighborhoods. Um, you know, I would love it that every vacant lot within, you know, a neighborhood that, you know, would be some infill could be a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex. You know, if that lot is appropriate and it wouldn't have uh, neighborhood impacts. What I suspect would happen is there would be pushback by the neighbors. I want to live in a single family neighborhood. Well, we don't have enough space and it's not affordable for everyone to be able to have housing. I would really like our community to agree <clears throat> that every person has the right to safe housing. 
hard stop, no matter their circumstances. Because if we can start with that common understanding, we can then get more creative about how we meet that need for every person. So this question might, you might have the same answer to this question, but um, one way I like to think of it is you've got a magic wand um, and you could just change one thing right now um, to, to alleviate homelessness or to lessen it in Anchorage. What would you do if you had that magic wand? I would make big multi-unit housing developments pencil. <laughs> Um, so that, you know, not only the cook inlets, but the private developers and, you know, everyone would be competing to build, you know, 80 unit apartment buildings. I mean, we just need so much housing um, that I really wish we could figure out. I wish we had that magic wand to make those pencil and pencil across the spectrum because we can certainly work on these extremely low income units, but that's probably not going to stop someone who's in, you know, an otherwise mid-range unit from having a catastrophic event and now experiencing homelessness. We really need that whole spectrum of housing all at once. We needed it a decade ago. So how do we do that really, really fast? I think it's going to take a little magic. So a question I, I love to ask guests is kind of what have I missed? So like, what would you want folks or listeners to know about homelessness that I maybe haven't asked you about? I think my big reminders are twofold. One, every time you see someone experiencing homelessness or we talk about homelessness and we talk about the statistics, there are people with complex stories behind those numbers and the people you see. We shouldn't make assumptions. And when we talk about homelessness, we should be really specific with our language, be very people oriented and not presume that everyone needs substance misuse treatment, that everyone has a mental health condition. I mean, yes, those things exist and there are people who are unsheltered living in encampments right now in our city who get up and go to work every day. So you just have to understand there's a lot of complexity and just like each of you all have an individual story, each one of those folks has an individual story. Um, the second piece would be to realize we're all in a community together and um, you know, Anchorage is a really expensive place to live and a lot of people are on the brink. I mean, anyone, could really end up homeless with a catastrophic medical, in, you know, condition or you know, um, a job loss. Our economy tends to be volatile, um, you know. So just remembering that we're all in this together, frankly. And if we don't think about, you know, not only who is experiencing homelessness right now, but that it could be someone else you know very quickly that we could just bring the humanity back into it because I think it gets lost really fast. And I guess I have a third thing is that we're, we are succeeding. We are celebrating successes. They often get um, overshadowed by the immediacy of, you know, policy shifts or um, the large number of people who are unsheltered. 130 housing units came online in September. That is monumental. That is more than we've seen in a really long time. We also have a complex care shelter that is really caring for vulnerable individuals. It is so heartening to go in there and see all the walkers, all the wheelchairs, but they're there, they're safe, and they're on a path to housing. It's just a longer path because of their needs. So we are doing the right things and we're doing them, I mean, at lightning speed. Both of those ideas were concepts in January 
the complex care shelter turned on in June. And um, I believe it was from spring to September that those housing units, you know, the building was acquired and it was converted. So we are moving at lightning speed and it often doesn't feel like that in the day to day, but um, we're on a good trajectory. And I really want people to realize there is hope and um, progress being made. I know I find that encouraging because from the outside, not as somebody that's not working directly on the issue, it does feel like sometimes like it takes a long time to get to solutions. But when you start talking about these ideas were happening, you know, first came out in the spring and are now, you know, functioning now in the fall. I mean, that's amazing. And like you said, it, it unfortunately gets buried in the news cycle of other things around that are happening. But yeah, I think getting that message out is really helpful. So thanks for sharing that. Would you speak just a little bit about the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness? Like, what is your work? What does it look like? What should people know about what the coalition does? Sure. So the coalition is your community experts on homelessness. We work with, um, so we're what's called um, a continuum of care. So it's a designation from HUD. And we are responsible for the design of the homeless prevention response system in the geographic area in the municipality. And the way we do that is we work with service providers, people with lived experience, government to say, okay, what's the need? And we do a lot of work with data on identifying the need. And then we say, what are the interventions? You know, we need housing units. What kind of housing units? You know, who's got capacity? How do we develop and expand capacity? So day to day, we spend a lot of time deep into the data about the who. We hold the um, community's prioritization list. So we know everyone by name who's experiencing homelessness. <clears throat> excuse me, and they are um, prioritized on level of vulnerability. And so when a housing opportunity comes available, we go, okay, so this housing opportunity intersects with the list about here. And so we pick the most vulnerable person that's eligible. So that way we're not always doing, we're not just housing people who are easy to house because otherwise we would have the same group always experiencing homelessness. So we're responsible for that process. Um, and then we coordinate outreach. So we coordinate with a number of service providers to be out there on the front line and, you know, engaging with individuals, um, letting them know what is available or unfortunately this summer, what's not available. Um, you know, we try not to give bad referrals. That's it's terribly terrible. Um, and really just saying, okay, how can we get you from your current situation to housing? That is always our focus that by name list, we are like, how do we get you housed and we work with you know the whole system to do that and we are so fortunate the homeless prevention response system the people who do the day-to-day -day work in the service sector are amazing they have big hearts they have um you know it's a, it's a shared vision um and they've kind of taken the same beatings as you know people experiencing homelessness in some ways with covid you know it's extremely stressful and then just the the wild policy shifts that have occurred they shift with it and they just pick up with wherever the decision lands and they say okay this is the lay of the land now how do we do it but these these folks are uh, unsung heroes just showing up every day keeping people at the forefront so we're really fortunate to just get to coordinate that kind of air traffic control it a bit great i'm sure that's helpful for folks when they see the name they maybe don't necessarily <laughs> know exactly what the coalition does so it's really helpful the last question that i have for you is one that we ask all of our guests <laughs> which is in the middle of all of the things that you're doing um, do you have a spiritual or mindfulness or self-care practice that you do that keeps you kind of centered in the midst of your work? 
No, I should. <laughs> I know that I should. Uh, I um, actually try to tell our staff that all the time, um, but I am the worst at doing what I um, actually tell people to do. Um, I guess to the extent that I unwind each day, um, I read every night, no matter what, something that is uh, light, hopefully fluffy or fun, um, you know, and I like to revisit um, old books. So like my favorite book is Don Quixote. So I will like pick that up and maybe just read it for something. I'm actually reading The Count of Monte Cristo today or it right now because I've never read it and it was in a little free library. So that helps me turn my brain off at a minimum. Um, but uh, it's, you know, on the to-do list to do that. Um, and it just never seems to get up to the top. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you do have a practice you read. So I think that that's a really yeah. good thing. If it shuts your brain off and, and helps you relax, I mean, that's self-care. Sure. Meg, thank you so much for all the work that you do in the city with the coalition and with the assembly. And thanks for taking time to talk with us today as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. My thanks to Meg Zalatel for joining me on this episode. Please join us next week when we'll continue asking questions as we seek to understand the hydra that is homelessness. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lutner. <laughs>